Folks, right there is one of my modern favorites, Richard Ashcroft. You know him from The Verve and Bittersweet Symphony and, and so forth. There's a lot of beautiful music coming from that man. Uh, I've got a lot of his acoustic versions and things he plays where he goes and sits down at the uh, Chris Evans show at Radio X doing all kinds of live performances to promote his albums. Phenomenal, phenomenal. So good in my world that even Oasis covers some of the songs of Richard Ashcroft and probably back and forth. I know they've played together. It's been my pleasure to uh, to have people with great ideas uh, bless my life. This is Michael L. Craver Presents. You're looking at episode number 50. I neglected to put up episode 19, uh, the tribute to my father, which will come at a, at a future date. But um, I'm happy to be here and... A lot of ideas. I woke up this morning with a couple of different things. Of course, I've got a list. I've gone down. And yet, uh, something struck me. And uh, as I may have several writing pod projects that are in the works, I sat back to myself and said, No, no, this, this is what's rolling through my head this morning. And we'll take a two-part journey. Um... One part being uh, about me. It's my show. I'm, I'm the one who, who's taking the time to make all this happen. And it ties directly into what we're going to cover later. But uh, I'll take just a few seconds. And that is that I've, I've come to realize more and more that I've got this very complicated uh, disconnect between like the raw... Random emotion to me is not something that comes out of a book that's drummed up by the Berenstain Bears or Dr. Seuss or somebody like that. It's not something I took away from the way I've been told I should feel uh, by some program I went through when I was younger. If it was, you know, being in the Methodist men, going through Sunday school and uh, Carolina Cross Connection. I played a lot of sports. I, you know, of course, went to school and graduated top of my law enforcement class. There's all kinds of different points of view about what's right and wrong and what empathy and sympathy and all of these gray areas are for people. Uh, each one of those, you know, has some variation on that. For me... And my mother was getting on to me. She said, you know, when you say stuff to people, sometimes you just make them feel stupid. <laughs> I said, well, I know some people don't like you to talk about those things. I know that. 
Some people don't like you to mention certain things. Some people don't want you to say this. Some people don't want you to say that. Some people think if you mention some things, they might happen. Some people are really fucking stupid. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? God damn, there's a lot of stupid bastards walking around. Carry a little pad and pencil with you. You wind up with 30 or 40 names by the end of the day. Look at it this way. Think of how stupid the average person is and then realize half of them are stupider than that. And it doesn't take you very long to spot one of them, does it? Take you about eight seconds. You'll be listening to some guy. You say, this guy is fucking stupid. Then, then there are some people, they're not stupid, they're full of shit. <laughs> huh? That doesn't take very long to spot either, does it? Take you about the same amount of time. You'll be listening to some guy and say, well, he's fairly intelligent. Ah, he's full of shit. <laughs> Then there are some people, they're not stupid, they're not full of shit, they're fucking nuts! <laughs> Dan Quayle is all three! All three! Stupid, full of shit, and fucking nuts! I said, well, wait a minute now, if I'm talking about math, math is not my idea, if, you know, if... I don't understand why. What is it about the way I'm saying something that could allow you to feel some other way about yourself? I mean, the reality of it is, to, to me, if one idea or one solution is more efficient than another, right? Two plus two is four. Yeah, but one plus one plus one plus one equals four. One is more efficient than the other. One covers less ground than the other. Let's say it's more expedient or whatever, right? It's faster. And that's all I look at. I say this is, there are two ways you can do this. And here are the differences between the two. So you decide. And I think, <laughs> I think the way that that is delivered perhaps has its own flavor. So it does. And emotions for me play into that same centrifuge of my mother hates when I say centrifuge. <laughs> centrifuge is the machine that mixes the uh, blood vials, and it, it's it's for laboratory purposes. It's it's where you would do your testing and mixing, and it's centrifuge is a specific mechanical operation. And I will call something a centrifuge because it mirrors the dynamic or the process of that machine. You know, it's like we welded them together. Oh yeah. You used a torch and a mask, and you were welded, you welded it together? Well, you know what I mean. You didn't weld it together. Anyway, I, you know, it's free speech, and that'll come into the, the later part of this episode, too, right? I'm taking a word, and I'm taking liberty with it, right? This is what we do in America. Pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Okay. So emotions, to me, uh, travel that same pathway. To me... Uh, I have found that I look at the way a decision is made based on these criteria. You've got the effect that it has on your 
on your checkbook and on your monetary resources. You've got what it takes a toll on your physical resources. And then I include what it would pay off or what it would hurt your spiritual resources. So you decide that you're going to sacrifice something. You're going to work harder. That's right. But you're going to be more stressed out. You're probably going to get less sleep and it could be unhealthy for you. So I, I factor that in. Now that could make you, make you <clears throat> excuse me, a little more emotionally unstable, right? You put yourself under more stress, okay? And um, uh, cortisol levels came up in the last couple of weeks. We were talking about cortisol levels in my private life, which would be where you are, you know, emotionally expending yourself and spiraling yourself, perhaps even toward depression. You see, what happens there is that you're part of a system. And the harder it is for you to achieve your goals and the less desirable your place in the system, the shorter your life would be, right? You're more prone to depression, to adverse circumstances, to higher blood pressure, and in, in turn, these things weigh on your health. And so you live a shorter life. All right. And so... As I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's a decision someone made. How's it going to affect them? Like, are they going to be, they could be sad, right? That plays into it. It's not just fatigue or, it's it's as small as saying, you know, that could upset someone. And then there's the other sort of, I call it the Ford Motor Company decision right now. I saw Ford Motor Company has recalled millions of cars in the last 10 years. Just announced another uh, 200,000 cars they're going to recall. A slow-motion setback for Ford. The company announced a massive recall this week of nearly a million vehicles equipped with Takata brand airbags. Metal inflators within those airbags contain chemicals that could explode with excessive force. Ford says it's had no reports of injuries. This is the latest piece in what has been a massive and huge recall, the largest ever in the auto industry. And we're a long ways from seeing this problem resolved in terms of bad Takata airbags worldwide. The recall includes some, but not all, models of the Ford Edge, Ranger, Fusion, Mustang, Mercury, Milan, and Lincoln models MKX and MKZ from the years 2010 to 2014. Antonia Gonzalez plans to get her airbag replaced. Did you get a notice in the mail that you needed a recall? Yeah, I got uh, about three or four of them. We can go from underneath through the glove box, and we'll be able to take this out and swap them out, no problem. But the problem is parts. Each new airbag must be ordered separately to match the make, model, and interior color of each car. It is becoming a headache only because it's not like we're getting the parts in mass quantities. While analysts say the recall probably won't hurt Ford's bottom line or storied reputation, the inconvenience could be passed on to the customer. Matt Bradley, NBC News, Jersey City, New Jersey. They just pump those machines out, and you go out there and you take the risk, and you hope you get the recall news because there's growing pains. And that cured my itch to go buy a Ford Mustang this week after I had watched um, Ford versus Ferrari with uh, Matt Damon and uh, Christian Bale, one of my, my favorite guys, right? He's in Rescue Dawn, and of course, he's in Batman and Hostels and 
Terminator Salvation, all these, these wonderful things that Christian Bale's done. If you've watched the old movies, you know where he plays the and the, the machinist or whatever. Anyway, um, I had this inclination. I was like, okay, Ford, Ford, Ford. I'm looking at Ford Recall. What the what? So what they had been selling us was this idea, and now there's a fallout, right? Because they rushed the idea, and now they're paying it back, right? And that's why I try to. Th- throw all of these options on the table and say, look, here are the possible consequences. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I may portray, or you may think I portray one of those things in a heavier light. And I'm emotionally devoid of the situation. Doesn't matter to me. And your decision is your decision. And I have to live with your decision. It does not mean that I can't try to give you the best information uh, that I have in each area, right? I'm not going to deprive you of one area be just to influence you. Like discovery and um, going to court, prosecutors share with the defendants, and the defendants share with the prosecution. It's discovery of evidence. And the evidence of discovery, as I call it in my earlier episode, I think it's episode six. So for me, the math and science approach to everything has really taken the first wave, right? I'm out there, that's the first wave. And then how it might affect you emotionally and otherwise is the human spirit. And a lot of that stuff is is to be determined. So, yes, it could weigh on you heavily, give you a lot of grief, give you a lot of stress. But the goal at the end, the payoff, that risk versus reward is what I'm going to get into here in a minute. And that is what is most important. And for most folks, they need a value system. They need something to live by. If you have a world without values where everything's equal, what are you striving for? That's what, you know, people talk about socialism and not having goals. And What would you strive for? If you do better, we'll take it away from you? So what are we living for? What are we striving for? All right. So <laughs> I ran across these... I just, I've seen Bill Maher, Real Time with Bill Maher, it used to be something I'd turn on for political commentary. Some of it's meaningful, a lot of it's just, you know, you're looking at somebody else's perspective. We look at uh, the art of Vincent Van Gogh, and we appreciate it, but we know he was a madman. Same thing, you know, you, Heath Ledger is he's a joker, and he's this, and he's that, but he's he's a man who's destroying himself. You know, if, if you want to say for the greater good, power to you, but destroying himself and leaving his daughters behind, right? So I'm watching these uh, Bill Maher clips, and he's got this, it's uh, White Shame, I think it's called. It's the official HBO Real Time with Bill Maher YouTube channel. And finally, new rule, white liberals have to start listening to me when I tell them you can't be more offended than the victim. It happened again last week when presidential contender Andrew Yang faced criticism because he said that SNL should not have fired comedian Shane Gillis over racist comments Gillis made about Asians. That's when the internet did what it does best and deemed Yang a racist for for not being offended. Because if he wasn't offended, well, someone had to be. (laughs) 
There was a study done last year where people were asked to rate their feelings about various races, and white liberals were the only group that has a bias against themselves. <laughs> they want to hang out only with people who are not them. That's like your mother preferring the neighbor's kids. There is a <laughs> weird self-loathing going on among white liberals, and it's not helping anyone. Lifting up those whose society has cheated or forsaken, that's liberalism. Hating all things white is just tedious virtue signaling. You look like Justin Timberlake in Bad Teacher. I just hate slavery so, so much. Slavery's the worst. If I could go back in time and undo slavery, I would. I hate it. The answer to mass incarceration is to stop putting undeserving blacks in prison, not to put more white people in Twitter jail. Every thought needs a disclaimer now. The other day I heard a guy say, I realize I'm only speaking as a white male and I acknowledge our tragic history of oppression, uh, but you left your lights on. <laughs> Look, white privilege is real. And yes, you have some advantages for being white, but you also have some disadvantages. Many of you were born with a terrible personality. <laughs> That's not, I didn't ask for that, I'm oh, sorry. That's, they knew. You know they what? Knew. No, that's, no. Well, I'll fire the director. <laughs> but folks, you don't need to advertise it. What's, what's with the I'm embarrassed to be white subgenre on the internet? I'm finding myself constantly embarrassed to be white. I'm watching Tall Girl, I've never been so embarrassed to be white. Retweet if you're embarrassed to be white. Jesus, fuck. Rosanna Arquette tweeted, I'm sorry I was born white and privileged. It disgusts me and I feel so much shame. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you think it's hard being a black man in a white man's world? Try being a white woman who feels bad about you being a black man in a white man's world. <laughs> Look, none of us chose to be born white. Not even Ed Sheeran. <laughs> So just stop, because you know what might be the worst part of white shame? You bore the fuck out of black people at parties. I know. I mean, learn how to dance. You meet black people and say things like, Black Panther was so meaningful to me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a cultural milestone for you. I have taken an informal sampling among some black folks I know, and the consensus seems to be awareness, yes, is great. White people certainly should acknowledge they've had an easier go of it. But black folks are not asking whites to always be flagellating themselves because it makes everything awkward. <laughs> awkward. It puts the burden on black people to absolve you. It's really... It's... It's, it's really asking black people to, again, do something for you. Forgive me. Absolve me. Recognize that I'm one of the good white people. Jesus. Haven't black people suffered enough slavery? <laughs>
Jim Crow, and now, now I gotta make some yuppie feel better about himself? As a black friend of mine said, and I quote, I'm doing aight. I don't need your pity. Here's my question. How many white liberals would pay actual reparations? Real money taken out of your paycheck every week. If you really feel this bad about the whole race thing, if being white is really this toxic for society, let's tax it. Let's tax whiteness. A hunky tax. We'll do it like carbon offsets. We'll calculate your exact level of white lameness <laughs> and then charge, <laughs> then charge you a Caucasian offset fee based on a mean percentage of household income indexed to the net, not gross national product, and averaged with the consumer price index. We will come up with just the right dollar figure to offset the exact amount of you being a fucking loser. <laughs> A lame white loser. Now pay up, you fucking white piece of shit. <laughs> you fucking worm. I mean, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? Isn't it, maggot, you fuck? <laughs> you want to be told what a disgusting piece of white shit you are, you white piece of shit. <laughs> I'm getting into this. <laughs> Look. In conclusion, I just want to say, America has done a lot of good things and a lot of bad ones, and the number one bad one with no close second is racism. It's a sorry history and we're not done with it. And yet, black and white increasingly intermingle. We get to the finish line on race by just being with each other more. We don't need awkward. We need laughing with each other, finding out what's good about each other, befriending, intermarrying, enjoying somebody's company without thinking every minute, I'm with a person of color. <laughs> You're with a person. <laughs> you... And you are not uncool just because you're white and it is not a crime to know all the words to Sweet Caroline. <laughs> And the main theme begins with him saying, you know, you as an outsider can't be more offended than the person who is the target of something. So if they go rob this woman at the store of some experience, the customer service was not in her favor. Why are you more upset than she is? She's willing to live with it. You should be willing to live with it. No, I'm, let me tell you how mad and how offended you should be. He went on to show all these people who were talking about their uh, being ashamed of whatever culture they're from because of privilege or otherwise. And he said, you're still placing the burden back on the people that you're talking about because then they have to absolve you or they still have to acknowledge you and, and have this discussion all over again to make you feel better. All right. Now, I'm looking at, at other videos where people are trying to coach people on their future behaviors. Well, in the past, there's been a history of oppression, and let's show you how we're going to break it down. Now, I wrote a piece called Sidetracked, and the big idea, and I talked about this in, in earlier episodes as well, is the human race, right? Race is the species of people. That's the idea. That's the big idea behind what race means. 
So, if you are dividing people into smaller categories, that's what you are. You're a divider. You're dividing people. It's the action. It's the, the verb. Own it. If you're going to say that people have, let's say, a privilege. Well, you know, there's a minority working at your workplace. Is that right? So if we look at the census, and the census says four out of ten people are this way, another four out of ten people are this way, and then you've got one this way and one this way. Now, minority is an interesting word. Are there less people of that divided label working there? That's true mathematically. Are they a minority? I don't think they're any less of a person than anybody else is. Now, one versus four is an underdog situation. But you're at a company and you're working together for a common goal. Well, I mean, yeah. So if you're saying to somebody that it's a privilege because they are conceived in a nation with more money, in a household that has a richer heritage, if it's simply because they're in a location that has greater resources. That's not what that means. Privilege is the result of a, of a system. Like when you say voting is a privilege, not a right. right. Where does that come from? We just made it up. We did. We just made it up. We decided that we were going to govern ourselves with a constitution, and we broke down and we, you know, gerrymandered districts, and we've got voting, and we have a system of voting, and it's very complex with, you know, in different places. Electoral college is this, districts are that, and all the math behind it. And it's a privilege to be part of that system. Being part of capitalism. Is that a privilege, or do you just pay your entry fee because at the end of the day everyone has the ability to participate in the in the system right privilege is not it's an abstract idea it's not something that's devised based on mathematics oh well i mean there's for every one of us there's seven of you Six of you. I, th I think if you look at the census statistics and you said there's uh, it's like 13% Latino and right around 13% uh, black Americans, there's X number of Asian. I don't have it all in front of me. So you've got a breakdown of the interracial parts of that as well and then the median house, um, household incomes. and Each one of those things is very complexly laid out statistics uh, on the census website, right? So if you want to go investigate and play with numbers and, and find your 28% of all statistics that are made up, do it. White privilege was, was invented by the left to somehow account for the fact that whites are, are doing better than blacks. But, but there's an interesting thing. Asians are doing better than whites. Is there Asian privilege? Why not? Why don't they speak about Asian privilege? Or how, wait, and wait a minute. How are black immigrants to the United States doing 
since the 1980s, African immigrants to the United States for the last 40 years. They're doing great. They're one of the most successful immigrant groups in American history. If there's so much white privilege and so much racism, why are African immigrants? And by the way, I'll bet you you never learned this in school, ever, high school, college, graduate school. Considerably more blacks have come to the United States from Africa voluntarily as immigrants that came involuntarily as slaves. That was true already in the 1980s. William Sapphire of the New York Times wrote about it then. You know what privilege there is in life? The biggest privilege of all is being raised with two parents, having a father in your life especially, because fathers generally set rules and are models for boys, and boys need models not to grow up violent, because male nature is violent, and values. Money is not the answer to everything. Values is the answer to everything. What about all the undocumented people? Right. So now those numbers are screwed. But if you want to play in those gray areas about numbers, there's nothing wrong with that. The idea that someone is going to come back and say, well, because of privilege, you can do these things. All right, let, me, let me lay something down for you. If Germans decided by sheer force that they wanted to take the Sudetenland start World War II and take all those Polish folks and make them speak German or just clean their country out, that's a show of force. That's not privilege. It's an act of war. Okay. Now, is it a privilege that they had because they outnumbered or out-automated or out-engineered those people? I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Germans made the BMW. A lot of folks are running around in a BMW. Now, are you culturally appropriating some sort of mass genocide? Are you advocating the Holocaust by supporting BMW? I mean, that's ridiculous. Is it or is it not? Recently, one of the Jenner girls decided she came, she's announcing she's got a tequila. And folks wanted to attack her because they said she is... Taking advantage, she's appropriating Mexican culture by her making a tequila. Kendall Jenner facing backlash, some accusing the supermodel of cultural appropriation after her announcement that she is launching her own tequila brand. Juju Chang has all of those details for us. Good morning, Juju. Good morning, Amy. Well, we all know that Kendall Jenner, Kendall Jenner and the entire Kardashian clan use social media brilliantly to help build their empire. But it's something of a love-hate relationship. And this latest controversy has people wondering, is it PC culture gone too far or an opportunity for all of us to stop and think? This morning, supermodel Kendall Jenner taking heat after announcing her new tequila line that she says took years to develop. Named 818 after the California area code that helped put her family on the map. Critics on social media now calling out the 25-year-old, claiming that she is appropriating Mexican culture. One Twitter user writing, The idea of white celebrities taking from local Mexican artisans and profiting off our traditions and agricultural business, quote, rubs me the wrong way. Reaction swift on TikTok as well. 
She calls it 818 tequila as if there was agave growing in Calabasas. It says Blanco tequila. No, it's tequila Blanco. Like small things like that. It just screams culture appropriation. In what way is tequila cultural appropriation? And the cultural appropriation is who is taking credit for the creation of that and benefiting from that. That's when it becomes cultural appropriation, particularly if the person who is benefiting from it is not necessarily one who produces it. But some defending Jenner, pointing to other celebrities like George Clooney, Justin Timberlake, The Rock, even Rita Ora and Bethany Frankel have all introduced their own tequila based lines, seemingly without similar backlash. But it's not the first time the Kardashian-Jenner clan has been accused of cultural insensitivity. The name Kimono was criticized after Kim Kardashian dubbed her shapewear line Skims. And Kendall has been called out before, like for this 2017 Pepsi commercial. It became this thing because one of the Jenners, you know, decided that she was going to braid her hair into cornrows and call it something new. And people had to remind people that Black people had been doing cornrows for centuries before. So it is not just about this moment. It's about the whole enterprise. For Jenner, who landed on covers and the catwalk in her teens, controversy comes with the territory. When I spoke to her as her modeling career was just taking off, she said she wanted to do the work to succeed on her own terms. That's what a lot of people, I think, like to say about me. They're like, oh, you just got this because of your family. But in reality, it was almost the opposite. It made me work harder. It made me feel like I had to prove to these people that it's what I want to be doing. What about the argument that isn't she just being a good entrepreneur? On the one hand, one has to give credit to entrepreneurship and the spirit because women are not always in these spaces. It would be nice for her to sort of let us know what does she know about the culture, to have some humility and to have a little bit of empathy. Critics say that empathy is as simple as understanding that there are so many small Mexican tequila producers who are displaced each and every time a celebrity comes in with wealth and with fame and profits from a proud Mexican tradition. But ultimately, Amy, it's up to consumers to decide whether or not that matters. All right, Juju Chang, we appreciate a very interesting conversation. Now, sure, the agave is grown in Southern California. Sure, she's investing American dollars into an American business venture that has to do with alcohol. This is the recipe. Okay, okay. Now, is she abusing the right to take large sums of money and invest in something? That's just capitalism. Let's take the German example and overlap it with the tequila example. Texas is out of power widespread mass out of power a lot of tragedy going on right there right now are spanish folks are mexican folks upset about this i mean now they're starting to build that wall but texas is conquered land so is that mexican appropriation and Texas culture is actually Mexican culture, or do, do we just take the land and then just cleanse its history, and now it's all American? It's all Texas. Texas! woo You tell me. You start drawing all these lines and dividing people these different ways. It's illogical. There's no standard to base any argument on. The Rock, who is of 
Hawaiian or Samoan Samoan descent is coming over, he and Taramana decide they're going to have a tequila. Now, do they go after him for being a Pacific Islander and an American for having his own tequila brand? Oh, they oh they don't. Oh, that's just crazy. Hmm. Now, he's not a rancher. He's not a white Midwestern American, but he uses that Brahma bull for his symbol. Does that make The Rock a bad guy? Is he culturally appropriating cowboys? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> How about Adele? Adele, who performs and sings the blues. Her, her music is classified that way. It's underneath that origin, right? But then there's this large appropriation. There's this old idea that a certain ethnic group may or may not own the blues. Now, Adele's this white English Anglo-Saxon oppressive King George kind of person, and she's singing the blues in Royal Albert Music Hall. Now, if that's not layered in white guilt and oppression and privilege or whatever, I don't know what would be, right? But here's these blues guys. I mean, they're the true blues artists humming on their harmonica, their German harmonica. That's right. The harmonica was developed in Germany, imported to Japan. It's made its way here. So are blues artists, um, is that what they are? They're ripping off German culture? They're appropriating Wilhelm. Oh, my goodness. Frederick the Great is going to be very upset about his people having their culture stolen and then played in, in small street uh, events by blues artists. Shoot you right down at all your feet. Take you home with me. Would you in my house? Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we don't look at it that way. Do we? I don't think we look at it that way. How about Slash? He's Spanish, playing an American made guitar. Which is, you know, far and wide popularized by white musicians. What about Jimi Hendrix? He's running out around out there, you know, playing his his guitar at Woodstock in New York. And uh, I mean, that's not really the instrument of his people, now, is it? I mean, get the fuck out of here! These Japanese synthesizers are being played to underlay all of your urban music. Now, are they appropriating Japanese technology and culture? Are they stealing from those Asian folks to make their songs? Is Eminem a real classless motherfucker because he's running around performing rap? That's called freedom. That's freedom of speech. It's all any of that is. Yes, the young man who plays, who wrote, who did all this stuff with Hamilton is of Puerto Rican and Mexican descent. Well, that ain't got nothing to do with Alexander Hamilton. Oh, we need to stop that show right in his tracks. Why? He's doing something he's passionate about, and he's doing it very well. 
Are you looking at the quality of the work? Are you looking at the human race as an equal set of human beings? Or are you trying to divide things? I saw somebody give a talk about how there should be no standards for welfare. It's social security. We all have to pay into it. Of course there's standards. Well, there should be no standards for how we give first-year loan assistance or first-year, you know, first-time buyers loan assistance, how we should be able to help people with any kind of, you know, job aid, job core. What would that mean to take away people who help at the mission, Habitat for Humanity? Uh, I'm rich. How come Habitat for Humanity won't build a house for me? This is bullshit. <laughs> It's not for you. It's about quality. It adds a greater quality of life to the people that they're serving. It's so strange. I mean, people find loopholes. You know, go on YouTube. You'll find the guys who can walk, and yet they're given a house as a combat veteran who's paralyzed for life. And then there's this loophole in there where, you know, oh, it's it's that's not right. You know, he may walk again, or he could walk again, so he's not permanently disabled. Let you take the house back. And he's, he beat the system, right? So he, he got the house. Now, is that privilege? No, it's manipulation. Parts of this story are undisputed. For starters, Army Specialist Justin Perez Gorda was severely injured while serving our country in Afghanistan in January 2011. But parts of this story are very much in question tonight, specifically whether Perez Gorda is paralyzed, as he and his wife publicly claimed for years. I've seen him with my own eyes, and that claim is not true. This was former Army Specialist Justin Perez Gorda one month ago unloading long pieces of lumber inside the garage of his Dripping Springs home. It was a much different sight than the one captured by cameras right before Christmas 2013. Very happy, we're excited to be here today. Neighbors, state dignitaries, and other wounded veterans greeted Perez Gorda as he, his wife, and their two daughters moved into a home with lowered countertops, wide hallways, and bathrooms specifically built to accommodate a person in a wheelchair. The home, appraised for more than $380,000, was built and paid for by the national nonprofit Homes for Our Troops. This YouTube video was shot by Homes for Our Troops before it awarded the house to Perez Gorda and his wife. Executive Director Bill Ivey called it a video interview of sorts, later used to raise money to fund the new home. We're going to stay in this house and it's going to be um, it's going to be our home. The interview contains sensitive and specific information about the extent of Justin's wartime injuries, which included a traumatic brain injury or TBI. He has permanent loss of use to both lower extremities. He's paralyzed from the belly button down. Perez Gorda made the same claim when Ken's five spoke with him in April 2012. I'm paralyzed. I have a TBI. The medical assertion fell apart almost as soon as the Perez Gordas rolled out the welcome mat. Within weeks, in January 2015, members of the community began to see something incredible. Justin walking around his property with no wheelchair in sight. 
When approached about Justin's recovery from paralysis, the couple became angry and withdrawn, according to Dripping Springs residents we spoke with, who asked us not to reveal their names. Their concerns made it to Homes for Our Troops, which repeatedly reached out to Justin last year. He did not respond to their inquiries, according to the nonprofit. So, late last year, an employee for Homes for Our Troops drove from Alabama to Texas to investigate. According to the organization, Justin refused to come out of a back bedroom. The employee talked to Justin's wife for 45 minutes, but left town without any answers. We hear that phrase a lot, permanently paralyzed, or paralyzed from the belly button down or the waist down. Um, is that phrase used too much? It is. Dr. Jesse never, Neely, formerly of Brook Army Medical Center's Warrior Clinic, is now the medical director of Reeves Rehabilitation Center at University Hospital. He says a traumatic brain injury alone rarely causes paralysis from the waist down. It has to actually be some kind of spinal cord injury. Correct. My rehab. So, what were Perez Gorda's injuries? He qualified for the home after completing the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs grant process for specially adapted housing and passing a background check. The Army confirmed to the I-Team Perez Gorda was medically retired from the military, but his medical records are sealed. Homes for Our Troops now believes Perez Gorda actually has an incomplete spinal cord injury. Dr. Neely, who did not treat Perez Gorda, says patients do not recover from these type of traumatic injuries this quickly. Where are they usually at one month after being wheelchair bound? They would be in outpatient physical therapy, utilizing a walker or other a sort of uh, assistive device to walk. Last month, we made a trip to Dripping Springs and sure enough saw what neighbors have seen for 17 months. Justin Perez Gorda walking, then carrying wood. Hey, Justin. He stood face to face with us as he threw us off his property. We covered the building of this house back in 2013. Totally. Homes for Our Troops Executive Director Bill Ivey released the following statement to the I-Team, quote, Obviously, there is something out there we missed. Homes for Our Troops continues to assess the situation and is weighing our options. Ivey said taking back the home is on the table, but as a last resort. Justin's bio was recently updated to say he was diagnosed with incomplete paraplegia and not permanent paralysis. Ivy said he made the change after re-examining Justin's medical records. I spoke with Justin's wife, Josephine, for an hour yesterday. She slammed homes for our troops and said the nonprofit has known for years her husband is able to walk. I don't Where is the argument, and I'm sure it's out there because people are just outrageous and they need to be like original. Where is the heterosexual privilege argument? They have all of these... You know, there's a there's an old scene um, in the WWF AE. I think it would have been F at the time. And Booker T walks into the locker room and he says, he says something to the effect of, "Do you know who I am? I'm the five time WCW champion." And Rob Van Dam looks at him and he's like, "Whoa, you." You mean to tell me you lost the WCW title five times? Oh, man. You're right. 
I want to congratulate you on all your success here lately, man. Hey, thanks. Yeah, yeah, but you got your work cut out for you tonight, don't That's you? Right. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, and just for the record, when the last shows you last Thursday, let me tell you something. I would have beat Kurt Angle a lot quicker and a lot faster than you ever could have. A lot faster. And Stone Cold will be thanking me the five-time WCW five champion, time, not baby. you, sucker. Five times. Five times. Yeah, that's right. Five-time five time. WCW champion. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I can't believe you lost the WCW championship five times. <laughs> you didn't say that. Tell me he did not just say that. <laughs> Both things were factually true. It's how you portray them. Is that humor? Is it disrespect? Is it comedy? I mean, you know, it's that's in the eye of the beholder. And if you label it certain ways, it's up to you. If you're having a good time with it, that's quality. If you're breaking it down, you're being divisive. You're dividing. People will say that you can't, you know, they're they're whitewashing history and doing this, that, and the other. I said, that's right, because free speech does not have an oath of truth behind it. Now, if you print something, there's libel. If you say it, it's slander. If you go out and you lie on the stand, that's perjury, right? You perjured yourself. That's a crime. However, with free speech, we can just lie to one another. We can elect a guy to be president. He can lie for four years. He's not breaking any laws. It's free speech. It's part of the system. It also allows these folks who want to say that cultural appropriation, if they want to be full of shit, free speech protects them. And if the people on the other side want to be full of it, it protects them too. It's equal protection. That's pretty good, right? And I look at that and, you know, I think I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk about Carl um, Carl Jung and... uh, he says, this, the old quote from, from Carl is, people do not have ideas. Ideas have people. And Jung believed that as a consequence of us manifesting a specific set of typically human behaviors over hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of years, we also evolved a cognitive apparatus that was capable of representing those patterns of behavior. And that cognitive apparatus expressed the representations of those fundamental patterns of behavior in imagistic and symbolic form. And the basic imagistic and symbolic form is something like drama. Now, why would that be? Well, it's, it's obvious in some sense. What is drama? Drama is the representation, the abstract representation, of patterns of behavior. That's what you do when you go to a movie. You watch people manifest their characteristic behaviors. And then you might note that there's, well, there's characteristic, quasi-unique patterns of behavior that are portrayed in drama. So, for example, there's the bad guy, and he wears a black hat in a cowboy movie. And whenever you go to a movie, it's pretty clear to you right away who the good guys are and the bad guys are, and you accept the distinction between good and bad guys as an a priori acceptable distinction. So Jung would say, well, that's the action of an archetype. What underlies that is the archetypal story of the hostile brothers. And the hostile brothers, for example, are Cain and Abel, which is the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis, by the way, is really the second story that's in that origin myth, and it's the first story about real human beings, right? Because Adam and Eve, so to speak, 
were created by God, whereas Cain and Abel were born, the first brothers. Well, what happened? Well, one of them became insanely jealous of the other and murdered him. So that's a pretty harsh story when you think that, you know, the, 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 the monotheistic religions of, of the West, roughly speaking, put as one of their foundational stories the idea that there's a twin pair of forces operating in the human psyche that can be conceptualized as brothers who are murderously opposed to one another. It's like, that's part of the reason why that story hasn't disappeared. It's so powerful. It's so shocking. It's so powerful that it can't disappear. And the reason for that is that it's true, in a sense. It's true like, it's true that a reasonable drama, not all of them obviously, but a large proportion of them, has a bad guy and a good guy. And then you might say, well, what would the archetypes be? Well, the archetypes would be the ultimate good guy and the ultimate bad guy. And there's representations of the ultimate good guy and the ultimate bad guy. Jung was very influenced by Christianity, and part of the reason for that is that he grew up in a state that was Protestant, primarily Christian, and a number of his immediate ancestors were pastors. So he grew up in an atmosphere that was pretty saturated by religious ideas. And so a lot of his thinking was heavily influenced by Christianity. So one of the things he pointed out was that just like Cain and Abel, who are archetypes in a sense, they're archetypes of the, they're the Old Testament version of archetypes of the hostile brothers, Christ and Satan are archetypes. And the reason they're archetypes is because virtually by definition, the, the satanic symbol, so to speak, is a representation, a symbolic representation of everything that's terrible about human beings. It's an archetype. You can't imagine anything worse than that, so it's like a limit case. And then when you go to a movie and you see bad guys, you can think of them as partial approximations of the archetype. Or you can think about them as the archetype differentiated in a manner that makes exposure to the archetype fresh and interesting. And uh, what that means is uh, you've got these folks who are running around with these very loose, very convoluted, perhaps even completely fabricated ideas. There's a recent one. I just saw this yesterday. Cracker, <laughs> Cracker Barrel's name is based off of uh, selling whips out of a barrel at the general store. Now, I thought when I saw it, it was like Cracker Barrel name in controversy or something. I thought, are they now they're getting on to it because Cracker Barrel's for white people and it's called Cracker? No, that's that's not what it is. They're saying that the whips or something about the logo is from whips being sold in a barrel at a general store. There's nothing documented like this in history. Yeah, those are the whips. They used to go to the general store and get the whips to beat me. Get the fuck out. <laughs> As if everything wasn't quilted and sold and stuff, for the most part, in a loom at one place or, or at home. This, this, it, <clears throat> the, the chain of... of developing the product and the custody of it from the maker to the slave owner or whoever might have a whip if you're a livestock owner and you need a whip for a bull or a horse or anything that chain does not include a barrel and it's quite inaccurate to even portray it that way i'm waiting for the day they go after indiana jones because he was carrying a whip around and he whipped a lion so Peter can go after him or he, whatever 
the religious people ought to go after Indiana Jones, right? He was he was going after that. I throw me the whip, throw me the idol. You know, he he was he was uh, going out there and capturing a false idol people were uh, worshiping in another religion, and uh, that's against one of the Ten Commandments. So we got to get him. I, mean, I can give you all kinds of reasons that sound like they make sense under these other conditions. But I've talked a great deal in the last series of episodes about how people are not basing anything they're doing on reality. The reality of the tequila adventure or any other business adventure is that when people take the risk, they can get the reward. This idea that shareholders and stockholders and business entrepreneurs go out there and then they should have to share all of the profits with the workers or give people $20 an hour because they're, they're the ones doing the work. Oh, did they front all the fucking money to make that job possible? Oh, 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 they didn't. I mean, when parents come home and they make $50,000 a year and there's five people in that household, they ought to divide it up. Three kids, one wife, one husband, they all get $10,000. Do it. That sounds fair. Same idea, right? I mean, no, no, it's not. I mean, it's not. Uh-oh. Now, how is it not? If you're going to be ridiculous, expect to deal with the ridiculous. Garbage in, garbage out. Do I think people should have to take an oath in general so that there's freedom of speech, but it also is trying to curb fabrication and lies? No. No, because that would run over this very strange area with a bulldozer or, a, let's say, a, a steamer, a steamroller, is that right? Where they pave the um, the roads and they run over with a steamroller and make it all flat, two-dimensional, whatever. Because you can't, number one, you can't talk trash and have fun and, and joke around with each other and have comedy if you can't be full of shit and you have to tell everything straightforward. Secondly, because uh, comedy is a big theme. Secondly, would be the just annihilation of free thought and ideas. What if? Oh, no, that can't be true. Well, at what point is it a lie if it's not scientifically tested or proven? Perhaps you think the test was nonsense and you'd like to see it again. 
I want to appeal that. I want to run a second test. Two best two out of three. But this idea that people take anything that is in the last you develop the window. Is it ten years? Is it fifty years? Is it five hundred years? People that were not English or and I didn't go on Wikipedia or Google machine this. The people who developed lingerie ought to be the exclusive ethnicity or culture of lingerie till the end of time. Oh, that's not right. It's not. Oh, no, it should be inclusive. Everybody should be able to... Mm. So where does inclusivity ends at some point for you? Because this person can't own a tequila brand. Oh, I mean... Is that right? Gordon Ramsay shouldn't be able to serve soul food in his restaurants. He's some English asshole. It's not true. It's just a recipe. He's doing something good. He's employing people. He's sharing his passion of food. It's quality. And quality, whether you have a hierarchy or not, is the ultimate Ingredient. When I talked about what I consider earlier about the diversified paths that you can take to get to something, the toll that it could take on you physically, the side effects, more or less, of your choices, quality is the ultimate peacemaker. It stands the test of time. Think about that. I have covered a, a lot of intense things in the last 30 minutes but uh, I think if you're looking at things in sheer terms of numbers and you want to call the majority out you want to fight that battle look in nature if you know a lion decides to take on five guys he stands a pretty good chance but if one guy decides to take on five guys, I mean, you know, it better be Bruce Lee or something, right? People try to use systems. They try to take and leverage things. It's You look around you and you see people from all walks of life being successful. The neighborhood I live in, for instance. And... You look at folks who have the ability to use technology to just loosely throw ideas out. Now, whether they ever have any personal goals or achieve anything, I don't know. That's up to them, right? I'm not going to follow them along. I'm not their biographer. But I know that the world is full of opportunity. And if you're willing to lie and be full of shit and do all the things that they're doing, if you'll do it in a capitalistic adventure, you will become monetarily successful. You can if you do it well. And so use those tools. You want to manipulate people. You want to give a half-truth or a complete fabrication. Do it. And then you can do a recall at the end or retraction or whatever it might be in your field. But remember, you won't be on the low end of the social status or the monetary. On the financial plane, you will be equal. You will be elevated. You will have wealth. They won't change the numbers. Right? But 
at least then you'll have earned something. And this abstract idea of privilege is something you can continue to advocate. You might reassess it. Who knows? Who knows? I can't believe people that are like one another would prefer people who are like one another. Why don't we have our dogs eating at the table with us? Why don't we have lions living in our home? Tell you what, Michael, why don't you move down to South America and go live in the Andes Mountains? You'll see if you can find in Argentina where Hitler landed after he escaped Europe. And there's German-speaking folks down there. Wait a minute, there's German-speaking folks down in Chile in South America? Yeah, yeah. And they've survived there for the last hundred years. They're okay? Yeah. Wait a minute. Aren't the other people expressing and just utilizing their privilege all over the Deutschland people? Uh, well, I don't know. Right? I don't know. There was... British folks who went all around the world and they were a minority and they established the British Empire and that was the big thing. Alexander, I've got a son named after Alexander of Macedonia the III. Um, he decided that he wanted Rome and the Roman Empire to be expanded and went out and kicked some ass and the empire fell. Now, people did not look at them and go, well, that's your Roman privilege. Your privilege to be born where you're, you're born where you're born. We're people with feet and transportation, and we have all sorts of social programs. If you want to go live somewhere else, move somewhere else. Go down to Oklahoma. Or any of these, randomly, I'm saying this. There are places who will incentivize you to move there and give you money to start your family and have a home and so forth. Well, not everybody. Yes, you might have to meet some qualifications, just like you might have to meet qualifications to get a job or to get a loan or anything else. It's worth pursuing and thinking about. But all my family is here. And, uh, let me tell you something. If people give you a very extensive amount of time, and I don't mean just like a couple of years, if they give you decades and centuries and millennia to set up your culture like they have in China and you still oppress the Falun Gong because they don't believe the same thing and they don't like the tyranny of the Chinese government now are the Chinese folks are they exerting privilege over these religious different minded people is that tyranny hmm well, that's not fair. I mean, they didn't kidnap them against their wheels and make them slave. Yes. Yes. Yes, they did. Nobody's talking about the Turkish privilege because the Ottoman Empire, who had slaves up until the last 20 years, that's not something that's being advocated around the world and fought for. That's not part of the ongoing discussion. You don't see the people of Israel or anywhere else in Mesopotamia man, or northern Africa, going after the Egyptian people, wanting their pyramids back. Oh, we're from the Hebrew culture. We built those damn pyramids. Give us our, you know. They went somewhere else. They supported each other. They stuck together. They rose above. 
And even today, Jewish people are <laughs> still some of the most uh, sought after and, and very animated folks when it comes to if you're going to use the term racism or if you're going to say that they're ethnically put into a corner. And it's a shame, right, to think that after thousands of years, right, the Bible, you know, denotes all of these things that uh, that still goes on. But, you know, it's only been recently that uh, there's been some sort of peace in the Middle East during the last 20 years where we really started to get it down from, like, you know, somebody's going to get their hands on a dirty bomb, on a nuclear bomb, out of the old Soviet Union, and, and they're going to wipe out the whole area. Folks, <laughs> Some people have had it hard, and some people have had it harder. We live in a world full of resources, and with personality, what are we, what's this missing? Personality. With personality, with hard work, I mean, anything's possible. With the right personality, you can take hard work and, and make good fiscal choices and you rise up, right? You build up your resources. You improve your quality of life. And with a manipulative personality, you just you you con people and you take the shortcuts. <laughs> you don't have as long of a timeline. Is the quality the same? Probably not. But the check cash is just the same, unless you're doing it in an illegal way and you're risking, and that's that risk versus reward. Unless you're doing it in a way that you may at some point have to pay it back. But this idea that where everything started, or or cultures that were, uh, let's say, they were relocated from one place to another, um, do not have the ability to work together and build each each core, each sector of themselves up, is quite ridiculous. Let me give you this example, and then I'm stepping out of here. There's a great many people from the Middle East, from, I guess that's Asia, it's India. Uh, of course, uh, Asia, when you talk about uh, Chinese Americans, there's a great many people from, from other walks of life in Africa and, and Europe. They come, now some already have a, a sense of the language, but they come across borders into other places. They go to a new place where they have to start over, perhaps against their will, perhaps they're refugees. That happens to people from Syria and so forth, right? And people in Mexico, they seek asylum, they come here. And they work together as a family, perhaps not even knowing the language, perhaps without an education. And they fight against those circumstances to have a, they're very thankful to have money in their pocket, perhaps they live independently in a very decent home above the the median wage of the United States. But they're doing all right, right? They get good quality of life. Even though they didn't start out speaking the language, they didn't start out with the resources, they didn't have the same public education, they didn't have the, the American privilege. Is it the American privilege? You're born in America, look around the rest of the world. Oh, this ain't so great. Think about that. People die trying to get here, and they'll do anything to have a, a quality of life.
And if you have a platform and you have resources and what you're doing is not improving the quality of life, but your the goal in your life is awareness. Just want to make you aware of this issue. Okay, let me shake your hand. Okay, I'm going to move on down the line. Where is the quality in that? We're a Jehovah's Witness. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, we just wanted you to know. Maybe we're trying to sell you some books. Maybe we're trying to sell you a lawn service. It's going to be the springtime. The lawn people will be coming around, knocking on your door, and asking if you want some um, termite protection or weed service or something, right? And those people are being ambitious. And it's not because they're running around in the privilege of their climate-controlled vehicle dropping into your neighborhood and checking out what's going on. It's not a privilege to have to walk around on foot and try to proselytize and get people to come out to your church. What they're doing is they're hustling. They're trying to make the American dream come true in the form of religion or pesticides or whatever they might be doing. It's just... Talking about it is a peaceful way to understand things. And it's a good way to have a very interesting dialogue and express feelings like I talked about before. That is one of the factors that I use, right? The physiology behind things, math and science being the other. And physiology could be thrown underneath that science umbrella. But <laughs> if, if all you're doing is running around accusing people and trying. <laughs> Imagine you took those resources and you decided to help start a community awareness between like-minded folks that would bring them together, pool their resources And keep that group from being underdogs, right? You keep that group from settling for less and just raising awareness to people who are highly motivated and they're getting results. Doctor says to you, hey, here's the condition you have. Here is how it will play out for the rest of your life, right? It's how it's always played out. Now you have a couple of options. And one of those is to work hard and change your circumstances. This is Morgan Freeman, right? I played this a couple episodes ago. Get busy living or get busy dying. Folks, if <laughs> I can't say this enough. If you, if you are running around concerned what everybody else thinks and how they look at you, that's not free speech. You're oppressing yourself. Thank you for listening to me. It's going to be a beautiful Sunday, February the 21st, as it's being recorded. And uh, I hope the people out there look at what they're doing with their opportunity, with their resources, and anything you want to do to ask other people to help you to be part of a community, excellent. If your goal is to divide people, Volunteer. I, I, they might have stopped the construction at this point, but they probably will still let you go down there and be a real American and put an honorary section of the wall up just so you can feel like you did a vanity project to divide people. You have something to show for it, right? Take a picture in front of the wall. 
this is you. Or figure out something that you can do to bring people together. Stop telling them how they're different. Stop telling everybody why it doesn't work. Start embracing avenues, exploring opportunities and options that will allow things to work and exhaust all of those. Those opportunities will continue to revolve. New ones will come up. And as you get stronger and as you get more insight, as you exhaust resources, you'll find where there are other resources. And it's amazing what we as a people have done for each other. Often, all you have to do is participate, and then you earn the privilege of asking. Folks, it's been our pleasure at Michael L. Craver Presents to bring you this fine podcast. Be sure that you like, you subscribe, you leave a review. If you've enjoyed what you had to hear today, you can listen on all your favorite media platforms, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Tell Alexa to play Michael L. Craver Presents. Take care of yourself out there.